You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. Hi, I'm Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. My dad, Bo Hilleberg, a lifelong outdoorsman, founded Hilleberg 50 years ago, and we've been family-owned, family-operated, and European-made ever since. We proudly specialize in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. Our tents have been specifically chosen by polar expeditions, mountaineers, backpackers, and avid outdoor adventurers, just like you, all over the world. We build tents for everyone's adventure. Additional support is provided by Gnarly Nutrition. Push your possible with science-backed, delicious sports nutrition. And Loa Boots, crafting premium footwear for the mountains and beyond since 1923. And by PolarTech, celebrating 40 years of the original fleece outfitting climbers and other adventurers around the world. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, the AAJ. Our guest, Archil Badriashvili, first wrote for the AAJ in 2017, describing new routes and the history of climbing in some lesser-known areas of the Caucasus Mountains, rising above his home country of Georgia. More recently, the 31-year-old has been very successful in the high mountains of Asia, with several wild new routes in Nepal, and this year, an impressive expedition to the Hindu Kush in far northwestern Pakistan. Archil and two of his regular partners, Georgi Tevnadze and Bakar Gelishvili, headed to the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan in late August. After warming up with a new route to a 6,800-meter peak, the trio made the first ascent of the highest unclimbed mountain in the area, 7,300-meter Saragrar Northwest, in a nine-day round trip. I spoke with Archil at home in Tbilisi, shortly after the three men returned from Pakistan, still coming down from the high of this extraordinary expedition. I have to apologize in advance for some technical difficulties with Archil's audio, but I'm sure you'll enjoy this unusual look into Georgia's little-known climbing culture, and some very impressive ascents. Archil, welcome to The Cutting Edge. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, where do you live and, and what do you do for work? Uh, thank you. Thank you and hello. Uh, I'm uh, Georgian, as you probably already know. Um, and I live in Tbilisi. It's the capital of Georgia. I'm a full-time mountaineer and uh, probably half-time mountain guide. I have finished uh, medical university, so I'm like a medical doctor as well, for my yeah. expeditions at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I have to say that yeah, I live uh, for the mountains or how do you say or do you work at all as a doctor, or do you more or less spend time, full time in the mountains these days? These days, I spend full time in the mountains, but I have also worked uh, as a doctor mm-hmm. in uh, in Berlin Charité Clinic in orthopedics. Yeah, but now <laughs> in the mountains. And is there a big, strong climbing community? in Georgia or are you sort of 
you and your partners sort of outliers or is there a big community of climbers doing things in the mountains in georgia mm, uh, george in georgia mountaineering was very very popular um now after you know the soviet union collapse and uh, some wars and poverty it's it became uh, quite uh hard to go to the mountains so yeah uh, it's popular but like not so many people go uh, for some real hard climbing and uh, i can say that our team just a couple of people we are doing it yeah very actively but yeah there are not so many around us mm-hmm. It seems like your your local mountains, it's the, the Caucasus, are, are an incredible training ground for the Himalaya. Um, now that you've been to the Himalaya a number of times and to the other ranges, would you say that that's true? Yeah, that's true. Uh, in Caucasus, uh, <laughs> it's like like Sir John Hunt said, it's like little Himalaya. Yeah, and you can meet uh, the real mi- winter and like, high faces up to 2,300 vertical meters of gain and these kind of things, which you can, yeah, practice and just you will feel in Himalayas like at home. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just altitude which makes real difference. Otherwise, Caucasus is uh, very wild. Right. Yeah. When was the first time that you went to the Himalaya or, or Karakoram, you know, one of the big ranges outside? The Caucasus. I was a kid. I couldn't believe that the Georgian team invited me when I was uh, 20 uh, in mm. Nepal. And after this, in 2017, after t- uh, seven years, I started to organize expeditions to Himalayas and Karakorams uh, by myself. So in small teams. and So... Is it difficult to find money for trips to uh, to other ranges? Do you have to do it all on your own, or is there money available to help uh, support expeditions? It's like, uh, yeah, you have to take care of yourself. <laughs> um, we don't have much sponsors, just uh, our Mountaineering Federation mm-hmm. is helping us with this, with the finances. It's not a lot, so that's why we always try to organize uh, yeah, sufficiently everything. But it's still working. I don't know if, uh, uh, if we'll continue like this, so we'll try to get some sponsorship. But yeah, until now, yeah, it's working. Mm-hmm. And so on your, on your recent trip to the Hindu Kush, you went with some of the same people that you've done many climbs with. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your your two partners on this expedition? Uh-huh, yeah. These are Georgi Tepnadze, uh, with whom I'm climbing most of the time, almost everywhere. We climb together. And our third friend is Bakar Gelashvili. So both of them are also mountain guides. Uh, Ski ski rescue at the resort of Bakuriani. Uh, 
both <laughs> are very nice guys, skilled. And what can I say? A lot of things, a lot of good things. Are you all about the same age? Yeah, Georgi and I are the same age. Uh, Bakar is a little bit uh, older than us. One of the things I always like to hear is how climbers choose their goal for a big expedition. And I mean, I confess I'd never even heard of your mountain, Saragrar, until you climbed it. I mean, first of all, am I saying that right? Yeah, Saragrar. Saragrar. So how did you discover this mountain in the Hindu Kush, which is a place not many people go to these days? And, and why did you choose to go there? Uh, how? Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, <laughs> it won't take too long. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I was really in love with mountains and I was choosing the mountains I liked and uh, in painting some lines and saying, when I grow up, I will do this and try this, that. So since childhood, I was uh, looking for mountains, like it's in satellite images or apps or through these reports or articles. So uh, even now, it's one of my hobbies, like, like geography. And, mm-hmm. and I'm surfing quite a lot um, through the mountain ranges. And Hindikush, it's, uh, yeah, now I can say it's a very, very special place. Uh, then I was just looking around and found this Roshkol Valley. And when I checked the information and how it was there uh, since long, no one was climbing in the valley. So I saw Saragrar, just a handful of pictures were available in the internet. And I said to myself, wow, yeah, I, I have to go there. It's, that's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's the mountain. <laughs> Yeah. Now this valley is on the on the border or very near the border with Pakistan and Afghanistan, right? And did you have any difficulties traveling in this area, especially given the recent developments in Afghanistan? Uh, yeah, we had no trouble there, but we felt this uh, kind of stress when we arrived in Islamabad. It, these were days when Taliban took over Kabul. So mm-hmm. a lot of people were coming from Afghanistan to Pakistan to fly out and so on. So we felt this tension, but uh, luckily we were just very peaceful in a peaceful area with uh, very welcoming people. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this matter, we had no complications at all. And the mountain itself, it's Saragrar Northwest, right? I mean, yeah. there's there's a group of mountains there. So um, have there been many climbs or many attempts uh, in this area, on these particular mountains? Uh-huh. Uh, and, had, and had your mountain itself, Saragrar Northwest, been attempted before? Uh-huh. 
Uh, so the mountains there are uh, special in its um, huge dimensions. Uh, they are huge with uh, plenty of summits. <laughs> and Saragrar is like this. Uh, there are many summits around, and most of them are climbed only once before. It were Italians who reached the main summit, then it were Japanese and Swiss who attempted and reached some of the summits around. So the Northwest summit was unclimbed. Uh, it has been attempted by the Catalonians in mm -hmm. late 70s and early 80s, and they reached their high point. I think it's around uh, 7,150 something. Yeah, so, yeah, three attempts, but no summits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This was the last remaining uh, unclimbed peak, uh, unclimbed summit in the area. And we were looking at it from uh, our base camp. And yeah, it's stunning. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you arrive at base camp? We arrived, uh, I think, in one week after our arrival in Pakistan. And mm -hmm. it was like really a uh, fast journey, I would say. So it's like around 20, 21st of August, we arrived in base camp. And that's what I was going to ask. Is this the normal season for visiting this area, or did you go later than other expeditions have in the past? Yeah, it was an experiment because mm -hmm. I met no report uh, which was saying that September will be okay. So no one has been there, I think, in September. So it was kind of experiment, which I felt that this will work. Uh, you you know that uh, this in the summer there is usually good weather in this mountain range. So I understood that it will be sunny and hot and uh, quite dangerous maybe due to stone falls mm -hmm. and avalanches. So we wanted just to be safe, more safe. And the September was it's yeah more cold. The northwest uh, face would be colder. So yeah. And that worked well for us. I know you did some hard rock climbing up high. It was not too cold at that point for, for rock climbing at that elevation? Yeah, yeah, it was cold. But when it was sunny, uh, we managed it to climb. Uh, but uh, mm -hmm. mostly, yeah, rock shoes. We couldn't use any rock shoes. Uh, Georgi and mm -hmm. Georgi had some frostbites, little frostbites from the Caucasus ascents. And I was also like not feeling uh, much comfortable about using the climbing shoes. So we climbed it uh, mostly with boots and uh, leather gloves. And yeah, it was really, really hard to climb this kind of granite yeah at this altitude 
Did you have stable weather though? Was it was it uh, was it stormy when you were on the mountain, or was it good clear weather every day? We were lucky for most of the time. We had uh, good weather, but the summit day uh, and the descent it was already very cold, windy, and snow. Snow was coming. Yeah. So the hardest days we had when we were kind of more exhausted at 7,000 and yeah, during the descent. Now, first you climbed a 6,800 meter peak for acclimatization. Had you chosen that in advance or is that something you found when you arrived? Uh, yeah, we, we found it before and had an idea to acclimatize somewhere on peak like this but we chose it still later so we bought the permit during our expedition um, there are not so many places where you can get a real good adaptation Barfi was beautiful it's called the Bride of Hindukush uh, it's a snowy peak with lots of ice and everything what is the local name it's Languta e Barfi Right. And you did a, you ended up doing a new route on the peak. I, I understand. I mean, it had been climbed before, but was this, uh, was it important to do a new route or were you just trying to get a, a climatization no matter what? No, the peak is <laughs> so beautiful and uh, our experience was so unique uh, that I, uh, it's still hard for me to say this is, this was an acclimatization peak. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a climb on its own. Yeah, we made the first ascent of the south face. So it was never climbed from Pakistan. Kiwis, Kiwis attempted it from the south face, from slightly left hand from the center. They mm-hmm. climbed the face, uh, with, but couldn't reach the summit. So it's like first complete, yeah, it's first complete ascent, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they, yeah, they got up pretty high and they helped us with the information and I'm thankful for this. And how long was that climb? Uh, it took two days up and down. So one bivouac, yeah, we dig out in ice on the summit ridge. But mm-hmm. the, yeah, first day involved like, 1,400 meters of uh, snow, fern, and ice climbing. We did it like soloing up without uh, rope or protection. We felt all right. So, yeah, it happened pretty fast. And I had no acclimatization. So for me, it was more demanding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't stay there for a long time. So, yeah, on Saragrad also, I went like half acclimatized. Right. Now, you, on Saragrad, I understand you had several possible lines in mind. And um, was the one that you ended up climbing sort of the the main goal or the, you know, the first choice? Or did you choose that one once you arrived and saw what the mountain looked like? Uh, when we were there, we chose to climb that the second variant um, 
which you had an idea to do so. So, yeah, we didn't continue all the way up to the couloir ending because, yeah, we saw this rock and had this feeling to try that particular line to have um, more climbing and <laughs> to have more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it's an amazing line. I, I, I will have a photo, of course, and there's an enormous couloir that splits the face. Um, then that leads to a really big, steep rock headwall and then a tricky ridge to the top. Uh, how high was that initial couloir? Uh, I guess, what was the elevation at the Bergschrund? And then how high was that initial couloir to where you left it? Uh, Bergschrund was... Uh... I think around 5,000 plus minus maybe, I don't know, some couple of meters, dozen of meters. And uh, it was ending at uh, maybe 6,500, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, big. Did you climb all of that part in one day up to a bivouac below the rock wall? Or? Yeah, yeah, in one day by uh, simul climbing. Yeah, with the rope and just protecting ourselves sometimes. It was not hard, up to 60 degree of ice and no no rock falls, fortunately. And then you went out sort of left onto the rock wall. Um, so you're at about 6,500 meters. How high was then the rock section? The rock section, uh, it was the rock was 19 uh, pitches long and uh, one pitch led to the ridge so it's like uh, 20 pitches of climbing to the summit ridge like a thousand meters or something or? uh a little bit less a little mm -hmm. bit less maybe 700 vertical meters was there an obvious line that you chose? You said you this was one of a variation uh, from what you were originally thinking. Did you see an obvious line to follow up the rock? It was one of our versions. Yeah, like we had three. One was to start from the uh, from with the with the rock without going too much into this couloir. But yeah, that would have been quite impossible because it's very very long and very hard and the third variation was variant was to climb the couloir all the way up and then climb this a little bit shorter section of rock and second was this was the rock good was it is it granite you said is it was it good rock in general or was it um, not good Ah, it was it was good. It was good. Mm. Of course, there were some stones, uh, yeah, sticking out from the rock, and yeah, these belays were quite fun when yeah, someone is climbing just right <laughs> above you and yeah, <laughs> throwing some stones. <laughs> but yeah, the rock was very solid most of the time like tiny cracks, which made uh, the protection tricky. And yeah, so some of, some of our friends said that it's like, it looks like El Cap or Trango. 
Yeah, I've seen photos. The rock looks amazing. Was it at that altitude and wearing boots? Were you mostly sort of aid climbing or mixed climbing, or were you able to do some free climbing as well? Some free climbing, uh, yeah, but mostly more uh, was uh, mixed uh, using uh, the instruments. We call it instruments, yeah, like mixed climbing. Sometimes we were. <laughs> Yeah, like mixed climbing without crampons, with crampons, with one tool and one hand. So, like, it was true mixed. <laughs> yeah. Every technique. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of aid also in some sections where it was quite impossible to climb with the boots and the gloves. I mean, more high up. Yeah. And then some overhangs and so on. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it was like uh, free climbable. Some those places where we ate it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was about it was five days, right, to climb the rock wall. Yeah, so five days to climb. I don't know, seven hundred meters, eight hundred meters. Was the climbing itself very difficult, or were you moving slowly because of the altitude, or? Did you have to wait for the sun on that northwest face? Uh, we were not waiting for the sun. Um, we were just going up, waking up, and just starting to climb. The climb, uh, the pitches were very difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. there were some days when we couldn't progress for more than two, three pitches a day. Mm-hmm. And no, it was not because of altitude. And uh, our, I don't know, problems, no, we, we felt just fine. But the climbing itself was, yeah, really demanding. But at least you had pretty good weather through this part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a portal ledge or did you have to find ledges to sleep on the whole way up the rock wall? No, we didn't take uh, too much of gear. Uh, we were just, yeah, finding some ledges and digging out from uh, the ice. So uh, we are, I can say that we are quite good at building ledges. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it requires quite some time. Yeah, two, three hours every day we spend to organize some normal, normal <laughs> ledges. We had a single wall tent, a two-man tent for, for three. And you can see in pictures, though, we don't have big rucksacks, so we had quite uh, not so much food, uh, not too much equipment. So we tried to be as light as possible. But yeah, I cannot say that we were feeling very light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we prepared for eight days, for eight days in total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, including some bad day for resting or, but it took us, yeah, a little bit more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, in several of your stories for the AAJ, you've mentioned uh, singing to encourage the leader when when the climbing gets difficult. Um, Is that a Georgian thing? Is there a story behind that? Yeah, it's a a Georgian thing. there's one classic story behind it uh, about our legendary mountaineer 
Tiger of Rocks, Mikhail Tergiani. Yeah, he was once climbing a new route on Ushba's east face. It's like a mirror wall. So he was uh, leading it and uh, he was uh, free climbing on that section. And he understood that uh, he had no protection and he could fall. And he said to his friends, just untie from the rope and let me do my thing. They said no. <laughs> they started to sing, encouraging him. And at this point, he knew that if he if he gonna fall, he will take all his friends down. So, uh, yeah. And with this singing, with this swan folk songs, he managed to climb it. So uh, once we had like uh, joking. Uh, on Ushpa, when I started to sing for Georgi, and uh, Georgi started to sing for me. And after this, sometimes we do this <laughs> for encouragement. Yeah. Huh. Are these are these folk songs that that you said that you're singing? Ah, uh, everything what comes to mind, probably, <laughs> but mostly mostly folk songs. So, can you sing us a few notes from uh, one of your songs? No, no. <laughs> Uh, it's not my strong side (laughs) all right well that's very disappointing Uh, (laughs) maybe you can send us a recording of georgi singing oh yeah georgi is a good singer okay well i want you to i want you to send a short recording of him singing a folk song and then we will uh we'll share that with people (laughs) okay okay in fact, Archil did send us a recording of one of his partners singing in the mountains. You're listening to Bakar Gelashvili playing guitar and singing inside a tiny hut on Kazbek a high mountain of the Caucasus, in the winter of 2017, with a fire crackling in the background. You'll hear more of this recording at the end of the show. So, uh, so you finish the rock wall. The weather starts to get worse. Uh, how far is it from there to the summit? What is involved from the getting from the top of the rock wall to the summit of the mountain? Uh, We thought it will take just one day because we were at 7,000 when we saw the summit reach. I felt that it could have, it can be complicated. So we still took uh, our bivouac gear, one sleeping bag for three and uh, just remaining uh, what we had from food chocolate and yeah one one pack of dry food that was all uh so we went and we were quite disappointed because the summit's reach was like you know the karakoram ridges it was like this uh very exposed yeah no protection no protection available it was just like if if one falls down you have to jump on the other side that was the only, yeah, only choice. So it took us half day 
to go through not so big section of this ridge. We were just digging, digging the snow, and yeah, it was it was very hard. It was uh, at this point for the first time I thought for myself really seriously: Are we doing it right? Should we continue or not? But yeah, <laughs> then the process dissolved all these uh, strange feelings, and we just went on and. He walked on 7,150 around this high point of Catalonians. And from there, yeah, we prepared for the summit push after cold and uncomfortable night. Mm -hmm. So from there, you went to the summit the following day? Yeah, the following day, it was eight, day eight, we went to the summit. It was not very far. It was not very difficult. Just some steep snow and some uh, accumulated snow, which we had to where we had to break some trail. And the last pitch, uh, it was also fun. Uh, it was a, a huge stone just on the summit plateau, and this was the summit. Um, yeah, some mixed climb. Not not very hard, but yeah, at this altitude, yeah, everything gets yeah a bit harder. So yeah, it was very windy. Yeah, I led this last pitch, and uh, we were then happy, excited on the summit. Yeah, a good moment. Yeah, of course. Now, did did the Catalans, the Catalonians, did they attempt the same? wall that you climbed or did, were they did they reach that high point from a different face no it was it was a different face it was a southwest face mm, yeah a big rock pillar yeah so our lines didn't cross at any point yeah and this northwest wall was unattempted before the wall we climbed and then you chose to descend the same route that you had climbed. Had you had you planned that right from base camp, or was or was there uh, a, was that a decision that you made near the top? It was a dilemma. Um, it was hard to decide. We just uh, found every line which was climbed there, and uh, we're looking at it like. Uh, is it possible to descend? Uh, how safe it is? So the, I think the easiest phase may be the south phase, but we had to just go down a little bit, climb up, and then we didn't know what the conditions were. So the only logical uh, thing was to descend the same phase. Was it storming by then? Was there some danger from avalanches on the way down, or had that not really started to snow yet? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was there was no avalanche danger uh, at this time, and it became more cold, so the stones and everything were more fixed to the wall. Hmm. So, yeah. And the funny thing is that when it was snowing, it was snowing always down to the to up. Like, oh, it was blowing so up it wasn't the mountain. coming from there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 
and this uh, the area is very special, uh, different from what we have seen before, and the snow coming, uh, yeah, from below the mountain to the to up, and yeah, this everything made uh, magical feelings. Uh, <laughs> and when you are tired, it's it's easier to yeah, just be in a mysterious world to feel yourself that you are somewhere in I don't know out of space or <laughs> yeah. In your past stories, it seems like that's something that you seek out in climbs, and uh, just from describing experiences like this and from other climbs, what what is it that makes a great climb for you? Uh, it's uh, it's not hard to say. Uh, many many say this uh, nowadays. The unexplored unexplored faces and new routes and uh, like true difficulties when you don't know uh, is it possible to climb or not. No one has been there to see the new culture and everything. This everything together, the whole process makes uh, for me uh, a good climb, <laughs> good experience. This is what I'm searching for. Yeah, and yeah, and I'm searching it for myself. You know, I don't have any uh, sponsors who are pushing on me or uh, the media or people like. We're there waiting for something more and more hard. It's just like our choice, yeah. our life. <laughs> it's interesting process, yeah, to to climb like like this this way. What? Why do you say that? Because you're you're more free, right? Do you yeah. um, do you think there are other good objectives in that area? Was, was it the Rosh goal? Yeah, yeah, Roscoe. Yeah, there are, there are, there in this uh, valley there are um, four, four seven thousanders, and most of them uh, haven't been climbed from Pakistan side, and in this valley, and there are a lot of mountains around uh, six thousanders, for example, and they are quite steep. Uh, they are very steep. Well, north faces are mostly with seracs and ice, but other faces, yeah, really good climbs. One thing, one problem, that you may consider is uh, a safety, which is we didn't notice any of uh, problems, complications. But still, you have to be like you have to contact the right people, preferably with locals, local tour agencies. And the second is uh, earthquakes; mm. uh, it's uh, more frequent there. So you just uh, don't want to stay for too long on the face mm -hmm. or on the wall. Yeah, these are two main things which I wanted to say. Yeah, if someone is planning for it. Otherwise, possibilities, yeah, a lot of possibilities. Did you experience any earthquakes while you were there? 
No, while while I was dreaming, I <laughs> experienced one. <laughs> Probably it was just yeah in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, also, I want to say that uh, because it was climbed mostly in seventies and almost no climbs after this. All of the ascents are done in expedition style. So, mm-hmm. yeah, everything has to be climbed. Everything is yet to be climbed in alpine style. Would you go back to that area? I know there's it's a big world. There's many places to go. But was it good enough that you'd want to go back to that same area? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go there. I want to go there again. and. Probably people people are one of the main reasons to go back there. And, of course, the beauty of the nature. The, the local people, you mean? Yes, local people. Oh, good. Yeah. They are very welcoming. Yeah. You know, I know many climbers don't like to share their upcoming plans, and so I, I won't ask you what, you're, what you have in mind next, but... I do wonder if you have sort of a dream climb that you would love to do above all others. About plans, yeah. Uh, we don't have uh, now any of big plans because after these kind of expeditions, we just take uh, some time for ourselves to rethink about it, reframing, <laughs> yeah. And the dream climbs, yeah, there are this. Uh, it's mostly um, about uh, high 7,000ers, maybe a couple of 8,000ers, but mostly high 7,000ers, technically difficult, like you may know, Kashabun 4 or uh, yeah, some yeah. other peaks, yeah, which I would love to go there when I, when I feel it's time. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about this this expedition? I think we covered the climb well, but were there any sort of lasting memories or things that we didn't talk about? Um, oh, there were so many things uh, that I'm. I still I still feel um, I still need probably some time to um, to be able to speak about it well. It's I'm still I feel that. Uh, I'm still in in this expedition. I <laughs> it's a strange feeling. Um, I didn't finish it yet <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So there are so many ideas and memories uh, there that uh, hard for me to speak about. Well, thanks, Archil. I think that was uh, it's really great to hear about this climb, and it's really we've been overdue to talk with you. Uh, You've been doing some wonderful climbs in the last few years. And, uh, well, we hope to hear more from you in the future. Thank you. I hope to. <laughs> if you want to see a clip of Pekar Galashvili singing in that mountain hut, it's at the very end of a short film that Archil made which we'll post at the Cutting Edge website. If you watch the whole video, you'll get to see Georgi Tepnadze singing during the first winter ascent of the south face of Shikara, trying to stay warm at a miserable-looking ballet. 
Thanks to Archil Badriashvili for sharing his stories about the Caucasus and the Hindu Kush. Archil will have two feature articles in the 2022 AHA, one about the climbs discussed in this episode, and a second about the history of the great Georgian mountain Ushba. The Cutting Edge is presented by Hilleberg the Tent Maker. The cold months are upon us, and if you're looking for a winter-worthy tent for a base camp or a high summit, check out hilleberg.com to see all the options. This podcast receives additional support from Gnarly Nutrition, fueling climbs and other mountain adventures. Imagine this. You've trained your heart out for six long months, maintaining a strict regimen, and now you're high on a wall on day one of a climb. But as the sun gets low in the sky, you realize you're bonking because your fueling has failed you. The solution? Gnarly Nutrition. Gnarly is the most effective, science-backed, and delicious sports nutrition made by mountain athletes just like you. Avoid bonking. Send with Gnarly. We also get help from Loa Boots. Loa began as a village cobbler in Bavaria in 1923. Almost 100 years later, Loa is still based in that village and still building boots and shoes in Europe under the world's most stringent environmental and labor standards. From mountaineering and ice climbing boots to rock climbing shoes, hiking boots, and now lightweight trail shoes, Loa is recognized worldwide for the uncompromising quality, fit, and comfort that make Loa boots simply more. We're also happy to have support from PolarTech, who's celebrating 40 years of the original fleece, outfitting climbers and other adventurers. This year, PolarTech is looking back on the partners, products, and people that helped shape the outdoor industry. From an innovation timeline made with Outside Magazine, features with legendary brands like Marmot and Melanzana, and stories from challenge grants that sent alpinists on expeditions across the globe. Take a deep dive into their rich history by going to the Peaking Since 91 page on PolarTech.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at PolarTechFabric. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald wishing you happy climbs.